excited to be with you and worship with you this morning. just want to read this real quick for us. Psalm 100 says this, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Will you stand with us as we begin our worship?
shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my Lord.
worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. Stop working. 
never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. morning, North Point. Why don't you go ahead, take a seat there. We're so glad to have you worshiping with us this morning. If you guys would, we would love to connect connect with you guys. There's attendance books on the left side of the aisle. Why don't you go ahead, fill that out, pass it down. Maybe you'll learn someone new next to you. That would be pretty cool. Um, We got some cool things happening around North Point. First off, today is second Sunday. So after this service, we're going to meet in room 105, and we're going to, if you're new to North Point, that'll give you a chance to get to meet the staff, to learn a little bit about North Point and who we are. And then after Second Sunday, if you're still new and you're still confused or you just want to check it out, we got uh, North Point 101. And that gives you a little bit of a deeper dive into who North Point is, what North Point's about, what we believe, all that fun stuff. I would encourage you guys to check that out if you got questions about North Point. Uh, One way that we worship is through our giving. We have God provide for us, and he gives us money, and we can use that to bless him and bless other people. And we would encourage you guys to either give uh, with the boxes in the back or online or through the app. Uh, God's been doing some cool things through North Point recently. Uh, I took 19 students on a winter retreat last weekend. We had a blast there, but this past weekend there was this night to shine uh, special needs prom, and we got a video we want you guys to check out. So why don't you go ahead and take a look at the screen? Sure. 
Hey, good morning, you guys. I absolutely love that. Those guys have better moves than I think I ever will have on those videos. And my wife can attest to that, so there you go. Um, but hey, special thanks to everybody who was a part of Night to Shine. We had an incredible team working really, really hard to pull that off for months in advance and partnering with some uh, great organizations locally. So if you were a part of that, and there's way too many of you guys uh, for me to give out a name, but thank you so much for that. It really makes a huge, huge difference to be a part of that. So uh, I want to tell you guys real quick uh, about a time when I was in high school. I worked right down the road from my house uh, at a pizza chain called La Rosa's. Anybody ever here eating at La Rosa's? No, you haven't. What? I am so proud of you. That's my new favorite person right now. Don't tell my wife. Um, La Rosa's is a pizza chain just basically in Cincinnati. It's a sweet pizza. So if you like like that real thick Detroit deep dish, this is not that like at all. It's like a real sweet sauce or whatever. But when you're born in Cincinnati, you get Skyline Chili and La Rosa's and then they send you home from the hospital. And so it's like ingrained in everybody that this is what you are going to grow up having. Uh, in fact, I can still remember the phone number 513-347-1111 to like order pizza. Um, my mom would be embarrassed to hear that, but that is like ingrained in my head forever. And so when I was a junior in high school, I got hired to work at La Rosa's for about 20 hours a week. And, and I enjoyed it because all I had to do was work at the front counter. That meant that I helped people pay their bills, which the computer told me what the amount was. I didn't have to do math. Thank you. Uh, and then I had this giant shelf behind me full of pizza that people would come in and they'd simply pick up their orders. Here you go. What's your phone number? There's your name. Enjoy your pizza. Walk away. It was very easy, easy work. It wasn't hard. And I got to eat free pizza every day. So like perfect, perfect. I liked the job, but I didn't like Kevin. Kevin was the problem. <laughs> You see, that restaurant had three managers, and I still remember Kevin's name and not the other two. And there's a particular reason for that, because Kevin was the manager that you avoided. Kevin would come around the corner, and I would pick up the phone and say, yeah, large cheese, and then did you want anything else? On Okay, he's gone, right? Like, I just avoided Kevin all the time. Kevin really wanted things to go well, in fact, so well that Kevin felt like he needed to be a part of everything. And there was several times as I'd have my tickets and my order for takeouts, he would come and he'd mess with all of my receipts and I had no idea who was getting what, but I smiled and gave him their pizza anyway, right? Like I didn't know what was happening. Kevin would come and, and he'd be standing at one entrance and people would walk the long way to get to the kitchen to avoid Kevin. You'd be halfway through making an order and he'd, he'd just come in and he would fix that order for you. And I'm sorry if you ordered tuna, but you now have fish. I don't know, tuna's fish, so there you go. But <laughs> you've got weird stuff or, or things would just happen that made it very, very difficult all of the time. See, there were low levels of trust and there was poor communication and there was no encouragement when we were around Kevin. Like I loved La Rosa's pizza, but I did not like La Rosa's Kevin. <laughs> and we were always hiring, and we were always training, and we were always losing people, and it wasn't because the food was bad. <laughs> See, we're talking about being disappointed in this series, and hopefully you were with us last week when Rick dove in, and we talked about relationships and dealing with disappointment in your relationships and, and learning to manage proper expectations in those relationships. But then what do we do when we're disappointed with our jobs, with our jobs? Like we all have, or at least at some point in time, have had a job. 
See, it's adorable when little kids come up and you ask them, hey, what do you want to do when you get older, right? And you get anything from Spider-Man to an astronaut or a doctor or a teacher, or an athlete or an actor. Uh, as a small child, I was shooting for trophy husband. My wife and I are millennials, so she got stuck with a participation trophy, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> See, most of the time, we didn't become the thing that we thought we would become as a kid. And that's not a bad thing, right? Like desires changed as we grew older. Reality set in that we could not dunk a basketball, so Tom Izzo was never going to call us, right? So these things just began to set in. And so now we have this job, and we're thankful for this job. But there are still times in this job that we feel disappointment. See, I don't think disappointment is usually rooted uh, in not being uh, a race car driver or flying through outer space like we thought as a child. I think most of our disappointment is rooted in management. Even that word, like management, kind of puts a little bit of a, a rock in your gut there for a second, right? Management is changing things again. Management said no to that project. Management brings back memories of so many useless meetings. They're just out of touch, and they've created more hoops for us to jump through just because I want to do my job, right? And most of us feel disappointment in our jobs because we're disappointed with management. Boss is a four-letter word, after all. <laughs> So then how do we deal with disappointment in our jobs? See, I think if we look back at a guy who had a pretty horrible boss, it might help us. In fact, the story of David and Saul in the Old Testament is littered with workplace issues that would cause any HR rep to jump into an early retirement. Like this guy was loved and successful and stuck in a literal hostile work environment. And David had two choices, and I think, I think they're the same choices that we have today. If we were to jump back and read 1 Samuel 12 through 15, and we won't read all of that, but uh, we see in those chapters how Saul became king of Israel, that he was tall, dark, and a handsome dude that people admired. He had a skill for corralling people, and so they liked him. But Saul made rash decisions. He put those who were close to him in danger with those decisions. And the longer that he ruled, the more rash and paranoid and jealous he became as a leader. Saul was a bad boss. And the nation of Israel suffered because of it. And so God decides, hey, I'm going to make new plans for a new king here. And he sends his prophet Samuel to go out and meet a man named Jesse, and have Jesse kind of parade his sons in front of Samuel. And God is going to reveal to Samuel who the future king is. Check this out, 1 Samuel 16, verse 10. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went up to Ramah. 
I love the fact that Jesse like forgets or just neglects David here. Like he leaves him with the sheep while the good sons get to come by and play Samuel's version of the bachelor in this moment. But David is left out in the corner. David is the one that God wants. And when David is anointed, it says that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. Man, I would love to get bathed in oil and have the spirit of God rush upon me. Like, what would that feel like? And if we jump to the next chapter, we see that Saul is back to being a bad leader, that he is at war, and the opposing army makes this proposition, that they're going to send their best warriors out into the field, and that those guys are going to battle one another. And whoever wins that, man, they just win the war. And the Philistines have this guy who is a literal giant of a man. I'm talking 10 foot tall, bad mamma jamma, right? He is a walking power of destruction. And he is, frankly, better than anybody the Israelites have. And so Saul and his army do nothing. (laughs) For 40 days, they stood and they watched this giant of a man make a mockery of them and God. And then David is sent to see his brothers who are serving in this army, and he sees what is going on, and David decides, no, 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 I'm gonna do something about this. And David, that little dude who was forgotten by dad, who was ignored by dad, he takes on this giant, and he kills him. David kills the giant, and he saves the day, not only for the nation of Israel, but for Saul as well, the leader who didn't lead And as a result of this, David becomes best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And David becomes Saul's best asset and worker. But Saul is still a bad boss. And so he mismanages this entire situation. Look at verse 5. It's 1 Samuel 18, 5. It says, And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants, As they were coming down, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, and as he, as he had done day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him, David, from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had a great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Let's check this out for a second. Verse 5 says that David was successful wherever Saul sent him. In other words, David would have been the best worker that Saul had. David would have been, 
He made Saul's dealings better. He would have been the top salesman. He would have been the top project manager. He would have been coach of the year that Saul's kingdom is thriving because he has David on his team. You would think that Saul would be feeding into that, right? He would see this, this prodigy coming along and say, man, let's like do stuff here. Let's make this great. Let's give him more responsibility and more encouragement and more reason to stick around. But instead, he gets jealous. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul gets jealous and he gets angry. And now he views David as a threat to be removed. Like you guys have probably had some bad work environments before, right? You've been in places that you felt like the culture was just off. There wasn't enough praise. You felt like your boss was always taking credit for your stuff. There was just, just not a comfortable place to be, not a good place to be. But did anybody ever like throw a spear at your head at work, <laughs> right? Like you're working on the budget sheets and all of a sudden the boss is playing darts behind your head, right? Like that never has happened to anybody, I'm, I'm hoping. If so, talk to me later, we'll, we'll call the authorities. Um, <laughs> but like it's ridiculous here. Look at verse 10 and 11. It says, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he did day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. It's that last word that gets me. Twice. (laughs) Saul tried to kill David. Twice. And then this horrible boss tries to just remove and relocate him as a commander over the army, over thousands. And guess what? David thrives and has success in his new role because God is with him. And so because that doesn't work, if we read on, we see that Saul has another plan and that under the guise of marrying his daughter, he actually tricks David into a battle with the Philistines where he's hoping he'll be killed. Except David wins the battle. (laughs) And in turn, he wins the hand of Saul's daughter. (laughs) Here's the question. What do you do when you have a bad boss? I think we have two options, and here's our first option. Do your job so good that people see the blessings of God on you. Somebody needs to write that down. (laughs) Do your job so good that people see the blessings of God on you. Verse 14 had put it beautifully, and David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. People recognized that David was successful because God was with him, that in spite of bad management, a hostile work environment, and being given jobs that nobody else was successful at, David worked at it, and he trusted that God was in it. In fact, in the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul puts the same mentality this way in Colossians 3.23, saying, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Here's the thing, disappointed with your job? Change your expectations. Your manager might never change. Your responsibilities might never change. Your office might never change. Things don't always get better. Welcome to North Point. We specialize in encouraging messages here, if you can't tell. (laughs) The reality is, guys, that is disappointing. It really is. And some of you guys feel that. 
You hate Monday. You want to enjoy the Super Bowl tonight, but as soon as that Super Bowl's over, like, ah, uh, I got to go back. You feel that. Look, when we let bad management and bad circumstances dictate how we work, we will be disappointed. Every time. We will be disappointed. Chris Fowler, can I tell you something? You don't work for that manager or that company or even that paycheck. You work for God. If it's as a linesman or an accountant or a nurse or a mechanic or a waitress, you are going to find people or things about your job that are disappointing. There will always be a Kevin who messes things up to be helpful, right? There will always be a boss who underappreciates and overworks you. You do not work for them. You work for God. And when we change that expectation, it changes our experience. See, one of the biggest trends in the workforce today is this idea of quiet quitting. Anybody else heard of quiet quitting before? Some of you were like, oh, yes, I have, <laughs> right? This is when you're still employed at your job, and you're basically out. Like mentally, you're out. Effort, you're out. Investment, you're out. And look, I get the temptation. Bad manager, bad company, bad work environment. Why would God want me to give my best to someone or something that just doesn't even care about me? Look, Christ follower, we don't do that. We don't quiet quit. We don't do that because we don't work for a company or a manager. We work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. I work hard and give my best in all I do because I do it for the glory and for the love of God and not for anybody else. Now look, I'm not saying don't have healthy boundaries. Have healthy boundaries. I'm not saying don't stand up for yourself. I'm not saying you should roll over and just be drugged through the mud. You can advocate for yourself. You should. And you should do it in such a manner that people recognize Jesus in you. Quiet quitting is not Jesus-like. But honest, caring, and respectful criticism and communication is. If you've spent more time talking about the issues at your workplace or the issues with your boss than you have to your boss, then you're doing it wrong. Now, let me take a quick aside here for a second. I've talked a lot about the employee side of this, but some of you guys own your own business or you are in a management position. And you know what? That is a hard place to be. Not every manager is a bad manager and not every employee is like David. <laughs> Some of you are trying really hard and you're doing your absolute best that you can and you're disappointed because David didn't show up to work today. You got Todd, <laughs> all right? And you feel that a little bit. Here's my encouragement. Don't fall into the trap of becoming a Saul. Don't quiet fire where you make that work environment so bad, so difficult, so frustrating that they just want to quit and you can get brand new employees and maybe David will be in that batch, right? I'm not saying excuse laziness. I'm not saying don't hold accountability. You'd be a bad manager if you did that. Please do those things. 
But I am saying invest with care and concern and for their benefit. Because when you create a healthy culture, when you bring clarity of vision and when you view their success as your success, right, that was Saul's fatal error in all of this, and then you're gonna see your company, your passion and your team flourish and grow. See, even in a disappointing job, whether as an employee or a manager, your trust is not that everybody's all of a sudden gonna recognize and make things better for you, but rather your trust is that God is already doing something that is best. So work heartily so that when people see you stuck in a disappointing situation, they see somebody who looks like David in verse 14. Somebody who has success in all your undertakings for the Lord is with you. Do your job so good that people see the blessings of God on you and they begin to recognize in turn that God is good. But there are also times when you have to consider a different option. There are times when you should leave. There's times when you should leave. Saul has already thrown two spears <laughs> at David. And he's placed him in several positions to fail and hopefully be killed. And David survived and he thrived and all of that. And because of that, now Saul becomes even more brash. Chapter 19 tells us that Saul gathers his crew together. All his advisors, everybody that he can. And he says, hey, priority number one, mission number one, that what we need to do now is kill David. And David then is warned by his wife, who is Saul's daughter, and his best friend Jonathan, who is Saul's son, about all of Saul's plans. And so what does he do? He escapes. David leaves. Now, leaving was hard. David leaving meant that he lost relationships. David would never see his wife again. David wouldn't have his spiritual advisor Samuel again. David wouldn't be with Jonathan, his best friend, anymore. And he lost influence and position in his job. He's constantly now moving from place to place just to survive. And he was so alone. The Bible tells us he actually went into the camp of one of his enemies to seek refuge. And then he got scared. So he acted all crazy. And they were like, I don't need any more nuts in my kingdom. I've got a whole advisory board full. Like, take this guy out. And they throw him out of their kingdom too. And then we look at, at the first part of verse 1 in chapter 22. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adalam. David leaves and he winds up in a cave all by himself. And there are times when it is time to move on from your job. And that is both relieving and scary. Moments when it has become apparent that your time at this company or organization is over. There have been too many spears, too many plots, too many issues. And part of you is glad to go from that. And part of you is terrified of being stuck in a cave. Like bills are real. Friendships were made. You had a comfy routine, maybe a nice office chair. And all of that is better than being in a cave. <laughs> Like, let's recap David for a second. He is anointed to be the next king. He slays a giant that all men fear. He is loved by people who sang songs about him. He marries into royalty. His best friend is a prince. He's a great military leader in battles. He's got money. He's got influence. And to no wrongdoing of his own, he has to leave it all, and he winds up in a cave. 
And it's around this time that David, who writes incredible poetry in the book of Psalm, writes Psalm 142. And just listen to what he's going through here. It says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. David says, no one regards me. I'm brought low. There's no escape for me. And David is low. No escape and nothing left. Yet he doesn't lose sight of who God is. Even at his lowest moment in life, David cries out to God and still trusts that God is not done yet. Here's what I think we can take away from that. When it is time to take option number two, when you have to go, do so in such a manner that God is still glorified. When you walk out that door, do so in a manner that people see the blessings of God on you and they begin to recognize, man, God is good. If you notice, you only have two options when it comes to being disappointed with your job. You can stay or you can leave. And both are valid options. And look, I can't really tell you what the right one for you is. Every situation is different. And so I would highly suggest, man, spending time in prayer, seeking wise counsel, gather with your life group, talk about it, see what they think, ask for them to help you for which option you should take. You have the option to stay or leave, but what is not optional is how you choose to act when you make that choice. Both options should be done in such a manner that God is glorified. Both options should be done trusting that God is in control, whether that means staying in an uncomfortable palace or an uncomfortable cave. Both should make people notice that there is something different about the way that you conduct business. Why? Because we follow Jesus, and following Jesus looks dramatically different than what the world does and expects. And guys, I've left jobs poorly. I've been so mad and so frustrated with my direct report that I literally just stopped everything I was doing, picked up all my stuff, and I walked away. No notice, no anything, I was done. I left all my responsibilities, everything before me, all the projects, everything I was doing. Nope, I'm out. I'm gone. Walked away, didn't come back anymore. And you know what that organization's doing today? Thriving. <laughs> Thriving. <laughs> when I left, they went out and they did this unbelievable thing. They hired somebody to do my job. Yeah. It didn't hurt that organization one bit. What it did hurt was my reputation. I had actually talked to some of my coworkers about Jesus but I didn't show him Jesus on my way out the door. It was pretty petty and foolish on my part. The reason I got mad, totally justified. 
The person I was mad at was wrong. But so was the way that I left. And God wasn't glorified in that. Like, you might need to leave your job. Pray about it. See what God says. Look for clarity in his word. Get counsel from people who will tell you the real truth, like the painful stuff that's hard to hear but rooted in love. And if all of it says, hey, you gotta go, go. And go in such a manner that God is glorified because others are watching. Look back at David in this cave. David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adalam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. People were watching David. Everybody knew what Saul was up to. Everybody knew who David was. And that's why people who are hurting or abused or outcasts were drawn to David. They had to think, not only does David understand my situation, but man, there is something special, something godly about him. Those people gathered in that cave were the same people that would stand by David when he became king of Israel and took that nation to brand new heights. But people are watching you. How you work, what you say about work, and how you leave work. And my hope is that whether we stay or go, people will look and they'll say, wow, God is doing something with them. You may be disappointed with your job, but God is still doing something. And the question is simply this. Can you still see and trust God even when it's disappointing? Let's pray this morning. God, you are working and doing and moving in incredible ways in our lives and in the lives of people that we work with. Good coworkers, bad coworkers, good bosses, bad bosses, good employees, bad employees. You love them, just like you love us. And so God, help us to, to understand whether it's time to stay and work heartily for you whether it's time to go trusting in you but leaving in a manner that's glorifying as well. God, if there's people that are struggling with their job today, we just pray, Lord, that you would give them clarity, that you would give them comfort, and that you would give them direction. We love you, Jesus, and pray in your name. Amen. Just what you say